what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, good afternoon, welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan, with me as always is Chris. Hello everyone. Chris, how's it going? Doing good. We're in kind of the heat wave part of the summer, we've had a few hot weeks, yes, which makes it a really nice time to go into a dark air-conditioned movie theater, which is what we have been doing quite a bit over this summertime. That's right. And with today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about two fairly big blockbuster movies that have come out, typical summer movie fair, right. that we'll be discussing. First, we'll be reviewing the film Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom. I believe I got the naming right on that film. Uh, the, the, the titles get longer and longer as the <laughs> franchise goes on. So we're going to be discussing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the latest dino pick from the original Steven Spielberg film. That This is now the fifth film, I believe, in this longer series. Then we'll move on to another sequel, uh, this one of the animated sort. It is Incredibles 2, which is a sequel to a film from many years ago. How many years ago was it? It was about 14, 14 years ago. The Incredibles, one of Pixar's earlier films and one of their biggest hits at the time, they now have released a sequel, and we're going to discuss both of these films. Because these films are so big and so mammoth to talk about, we're going to be skipping through news this time and not having any news items to share. But rest assured, we have another episode coming up within probably a week after this one comes out that will have some news as well. But we're still going to wrap up the show with our recommendations for the episode as we always do. So Chris, we got a big dino-sized episode to chew into (laughs) right now. Are you ready to get started? Absolutely. All right, here we go with our first review. It is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I know why we're here. A rescue op. Save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Life cannot be contained. Life breaks free. Life finds a way. Chris, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is, as the title might infer, a sequel to Jurassic World, which came out, I think, maybe three years ago, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Uh, about that time frame. So starring much of the same cast as the original, which is, uh, you have Chris Pratt, you have Bryce Dallas Howard, and that may be the only two real key elements from the first film, more or less. Hmm. As far Nobody as else wanted to show up again. <laughs> Well, maybe oh, wait, it was... Blue did. Well, I was going to say, Spoiler. as far as the human elements, yes, those are the only two. But uh, we did have some of the same dinosaurs that we typically see in our film. And we have a, a, a little bit of a different type of plot this time around, I will say. The island itself, that where the dinos are now residing, if you remember in Jurassic World, this is the island where the theme park actually was finally built and people were enjoying. And then everything fell apart and dinos ran amok. And chased all the humans out, and that's where we left the film last. Well, now that island 
its dormant volcano begins begins roaring to life. So we have Owen, played by Mr. Pratt, and Claire, played by Miss uh, Dallas Howard, mounting a campaign to rescue the remaining dinosaurs from this extinction extinction level event. Um, now, and I'm not spoiling anything with this because if you've seen any of the trailers for this, you do know the action does move to the mainland at some point in the film. I think I can be pretty safe in saying that because it actually happens relatively earlier in the film. And again, every commercial I've seen and trailer has pretty much showed some scenes of dinosaurs on the mainland. So with that being said, Chris, you were not a big fan of Jurassic World, the previous film before this. You didn't act, if I remember correctly, you didn't actively hate it, but you just didn't care for it. You, you, you didn't find a lot to really enjoy from it. Did I write my recollection on that? Correct. I think I was surprised that I actually liked it as much as I did. You had um, some, you came out yeah. of it a little better than maybe you expected, but you still did not. But fair to say, not, not a fan, okay. sure. I, I was probably a little more positive on Jurassic World than you were, and I'll tell you why. I like dinosaurs. I like big monster creatures stomping around. I like movies with big creatures in them. I typically will have a soft spot for those kind of films. Mm-hmm. But you know what would be interesting to tell you? And I don't know if you've ever really picked this up from me or, or others are normally surprised to hear this. I'm not the biggest fan of the original Jurassic Park. I, I don't <laughs> think Steven Spielberg's movie was that great compared to a lot of his other films. I thought it was great popcorn entertainment at the time. But in general, looking back on it, and I've seen it a few times since then, um, it's got some issues, and it's mainly based on story. I didn't. I did not know. I thought you were a big fan. No, of the story's always been the hmm. big issue for okay. me with Jurassic Park. Um, I think the visuals were amazing. I think the characters were pretty good, but the story was always just so lacking. And I will never get past the fact that how in the world, in the ending scene, a Tyrannosaurus Rex can somehow come into a building and take care of these last remaining raptors that are endangering our heroes without anybody hearing or seeing this giant thing walking into the this building at the end. It's always killed me with that movie. And for some reason, and I hate to say it, the same thing happens in this film. T-Rex comes out of nowhere where nobody hears him stomping. Nobody hears him roaring. He just swoops in and saves the day at one moment. That's all I'm going to say about my review before I turn it over to you. I'm just going to say, I've not been the biggest fan of this franchise. It's had some issues for me. Although I thought Jurassic World was kind of fun in some some parts, how how did you perceive this latest uh, version uh, of the dinosaur uh, romp that we have in front of us? I mean, if I seemed maybe a little lukewarm on Jurassic World, I am like Arctic cold on Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Okay. Um, I I just don't understand why it didn't work. I'm kind of confused. Okay. Maybe it's because special effects don't hold my attention anymore. You've got okay. to have more True. than just special effects. Like, you know, back when the original Jurassic Park came out, maybe just the fact that they could have dinosaurs on screen that looked what's somewhat realistic. And you're like, oh, yeah, those are really cool, kind of lifelike. Mm-hmm. And Well, I don't think... I don't think many people are impressed by that anymore. You know, maybe younger, younger children, like, you know, four or five year olds, maybe they, I'm not even sure they are just because there's so so much much content with high animation value and and quality that it's just, and even if you were impressed by that, you saw it three years ago with Jurassic world. So, you know, it's, so I found myself being really bored by this film and also I will admit I had some expectations, even though I didn't like the previous one. The fellow who directed this, Jay Bayona, 
he has done some films that I have liked. He did The Orphanage, mm-hmm. which had, you know, it was a subtitled film about kind of a horror film about, hey, you guessed it, an orphanage. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. And I liked it. And it had definitely a look and a stylistic choices that were made in it. And I really liked it. So coming into Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, one of the selling points was, hey, they've got this director in. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Maybe he's going to put kind of his own little spin on it, which some of the things that I don't like about the film, maybe it's because he was trying to make it odd because some things in this film, there's some odd choices that I think maybe if he'd had more free reign or had run with it more, mm-hmm. it would have worked better. You mentioned at one point, you know, the film does leave the Island and the way they, it kind of has a haunted house kind of motif or some weird stuff going on. It tries to mad yeah. scientist stuff. Yeah. That doesn't really work. Mm. And I think this director Bayon is capable of making a film work. So I'm not sure if it was just script or studio it is not his actors. I love Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Um, I like him in the Guardians films. I like him on Parks and Rec. He was, you know, he was good in the first Jurassic World. But here it's just like, I, you know, it's just like he's trying so hard mm-hmm. to make this stuff work. Bryce Dallas Howard, I like her okay too. And I just don't think, like, if anything, her character has the most thankless role in this. Because let let me just distill the plot, as you you know you gave a setup and your setup yeah. was great. Oh thank you. But um yeah I mean you know hey <laughs> you're good. But you know basically leave island because islands infested with dinosaurs. Oh and they're you know killing everything, killing people so they get everybody off. Oh now we want to go save like save the dinosaurs, and I kind of don't get it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of don't like, no, you know, let them have their island. Eventually they'll die off or whatever. And that'll be that. Oh, there's a volcano. Well, that's too bad. But, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't understand how now they've become the PETA experts of trying to save the dinosaurs. It's like, it doesn't really make any sense. I, like, um, oh, you yeah. saved them. But then what's going to happen to them? They're, are they going to get off the island and come kill you? It doesn't make any sense. And I, I love Jeff Goldblum. He was in the original <laughs> Yeah. I get it. He, I think he returned for one of the sequels. Oh, he was the lead actor in Lost World, the second. Okay, the second one. The, the sequel to Jurassic Park. And yes. I, you know, I liked him in Thor Ragnarok. You know, I, I like Jeff Goldblum. I like the fact that he's still making money. I like the fact that he gets a paycheck. But this is just, other than just blatant, dumb oh. fan service, there's no reason. I mean, did he shoot his portion over a lunch hour of Thor Ragnarok. Like he's like, okay, I've got an hour slides into this set, sits in a courtroom (laughs) and says like maybe two paragraphs worth of lines and then slides back. He's like, okay, lunchtime's over. Two times we see him. He's, it's in two completely different parts of the film, but he's in the same chair, same courtroom, same courtroom, wearing the same clothes. It was basically and yeah, saying the similar stuff. And I just he could have shot it in twenty minutes. Oh yeah, and I mean you know, and <laughs> I love re- him. That's with retakes, <laughs> right? But I just, I just don't get it. You know, I and just it was pure fan service. And you know, he's in the in. trailer, so you kind of you're like, oh, Jeff Goldblum's that, and it's just no, so disappointing. And Chris, James yeah. Cromwell, who's also yeah. in this film, yeah, um, is a good actor. <laughs> is he in the film? Yeah. yeah, he's the guy that got all the prominence from right. Babe and everything. Good, good English actor. He's in this. And just so, like, wasted and just not, I don't, oh, man. Just Chris, don't here's the it. thing. I'm going to do a little going back in time on this. Okay. Everything you described, I'm, I'm totally on board. I thought, I wrote down in my review, dull and uninspired. But everything <laughs> yes. I have an issue with this film, I can relate back to the story, to the screenplay, to mm-hmm. the writing. Okay. I don't think it's the visuals, because actually I think Bayona, 
did some I, really cool visual shots he, at times. He does try. Yeah. I mean, there's a few moments where I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful shot. It didn't amount to anything. No. It didn't make the scene work, but no. it was a beautiful shot. Great use of light and shadows at times and just framing of things was really good. I think the odd nature of the story had potential. I think there were enough. I think they were prepared at this point to say, let's kind of go a little off the rails. We're going to be a little odd with this film and we're going to make some things darker and we're going to make some things really weird and just Mm -hmm. strange. And I kind of wish they'd gone full tilt with that because I would have appreciated the film a lot more. I put everything on Colin Trevorrow. He's the writer of this film. He wrote and directed Jurassic World. His writing credits... Uh-oh. Not that strong. And I liked his writing and directing I on Safety Not Guaranteed. But that, I but know you did. Then, you know, but, but I'll tell you what. Do you he want has to know fallen something? off since Jurassic World. I didn't really like Jurassic World. So. But you want to know something about Colin Trevorrow uh, with uh, Safety Not Guaranteed? Yeah, he sure. didn't write it. Really? Nope. Derek Connolly was his, okay. uh, the writer of that. Now, Derek mm. Connolly is his writing partner on Jurassic on World this. and mm. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Okay. The fact that uh, he's been booted from Star Wars Episode Nine because I think some people saw maybe some of the talent of his work and said, eh, we're not quite ready to commit to this guy to this. And then they I rehired J.J. Abrams. Yes. Right. Okay. I just don't think this guy's a good writer. Uh, he hasn't really written anything else. It's Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. He's already slated to write Jurassic World 3. And that's it. Everything else is like TV movies or some short films or something like that. Hmm. I, I just think the guys just don't know how to write a good tight script that works. Hmm. I'm with you. I think the actors are fine in this film. I think the visuals are good in many places. Um, But there was just no... Well, okay, I will give some fault to the director because to make an action scene exciting, that's the director. A writer can't say, make this an exciting scene. This is going to be an exciting written scene. The director has a lot of responsibility to say, how do I make this exciting? And when you have a film with a lot of dinosaurs on a volcano-ridden island and transporting them back to the mainland, it's your own fault if you can't make an action scene exciting (laughs) at that point. I'm sorry. Okay. So I did think this was a very lifeless movie. As much as I thought Jurassic World was okay, I'm with you. This one, to me, dropped down. But it's a shame because I felt like there was so much potential there. That was my disappointment is I thought maybe this was going to be the one that really set the franchise on a different visual tone or make something really unique. Hmm. And it just, it tried in little glimpses and it just never got there. Well, and I, yeah, so that's the thing is it's kind of a backhanded or backhanded compliment, but it's just kind of, I don't like this movie, but I do admire that at least it seemed to be trying to do something different. Like you're saying, it, it seemed to try to. Going off the rails on purpose to try to take it. it in direct different directions without getting into kind of spoiler territory, although it's not really because it doesn't really make any sense and doesn't really resolve anything. But there is a new twist on the whole cloning aspect. You re- remember with the original, yeah. uh, original Jurassic Park, you know, that's how they got the dinosaurs is they cloned some stuff from like something in amber and they were able to do stuff. Okay, so that's kind of brought up again and it's kind of an like they're again kind of. Maybe that was it was a writing thing, but maybe they were trying to do something interesting with it, but it just kind of fell flat. Yes, Taking it, it off the island kind of fell flat. Um, but there were there was potential, but it just didn't. Well, you know, in, in films, you have a difference between a story and a screenplay. Story is here's the general thing of what we're trying to accomplish. Here's what this film is going to do. It's going to move us from this point to this point, And here's some of the bigger beats we're going to try to hit. And screenplay is actually taking those story concepts and putting them into words and actions and scenes. 
that's where I think the breakdown happened. Because gotcha. I think if you drew this up as a story, yeah, there's something here. There's something kind of interesting. This is a middle story point between this new franchise where you take Jurassic World and you've got a film where you have realized the potential of what Jurassic Park was supposed to be. A big theme park with people and crowds and kids and souvenirs and all. We never saw that in the original three films. We saw what was the failed attempt to make one, but we never actually saw it. So that's actually one thing I really liked about Jurassic World is I like the whole montage of, oh, wow, there actually is an amusement park they built. And there's people going and they're buying tickets and they're uh, getting souvenirs and refreshments while they're watching a, a water <laughs> dinosaur show. It's cool. Right, right. And I understand where they now want to go with their next film, okay? Because this film does set up a next film pretty clearly. Yes, And I feel like that this middle film is like, okay, we need to get from film A to To film C. Right. Somehow we need to do it. And how can we make it interesting? And they stumbled. (laughs) They they, they had a concept and it just didn't work. See, that's that's interesting because I feel like you and I are both hitting on a note that we hold in common is that where this film ends up and how they kind of hint what will be what you're saying, Jurassic World 3. We don't know what they're going to call it. But the next film I feel like there's potential there. I think there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> Basically, for me, it's kind of like instead of Planet of the Apes, it's like Planet of the Dinosaurs. Yes. And I, I think I think that if they run with that and fully commit to that and really kind of branch out and don't do a lot of stuff that they've done in any of the other movies, I think there's there's potential. Has has they said who will direct? You said they're writing it, but you, they don't have a director attached. No. Okay. No. Interesting. I, I'm with you. I actually probably the last. Five minutes of this movie were probably the most interesting to me Mm -hmm. because at least I said, oh, okay, I see where they're going. I see what they're setting up. It still didn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, but maybe more no, of a spoilery very, thing. Very little in this movie makes well, sense. And, and I can do this without spoiling. Let me just say that the dinosaurs that are part of this final resolution are not the dinosaurs we see in a montage that follows along. Although that doesn't make any practical sense to me of why mm. we're seeing dinosaurs that are something's happening to them at the end of this film. But yet somehow that leads to different dinosaurs we see in a montage, which doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me at all. Yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of, there's a lot of points in this film like that where you're just like, this doesn't make sense. Why does someone go into a cage of a giant, terribly, terribly terrifying dinosaur because he thinks the dinosaur is asleep and go into the cage and leave the door open on his way in? It, it, those kind of actions, you know, that yeah. just, you know, that's the whole story. That's the whole screenplay. It's like that just doesn't make any sense. And I can buy cloned dinosaurs and I can buy a theme park around dinosaurs. But when you just show me really dumb actions or just things that just don't make any sense, well, or an interesting plot line, like the whole cloning thing that could have been really cool, but then you throw it in, in such a lazy haphazard way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Disappointing. Very, very disappointing. disappointing. Well, kind of, I think at one point, maybe it was prior to Jurassic world coming out. seems like you and I had a, we'd have to get our intern to go back and look at the archive of all the episodes we've recorded. But I feel like you and I have discussed how it would be interesting if they took Jurassic world or took the whole Jurassic park idea and made it into an R rated movie. Oh yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, okay, here dinosaurs. This is really upsetting. So, you know, just stuff. And if they did that, that could be a way of completely, 
you know, changing directions. Or, you so that's one option. Yeah. Make an R-rated Jurassic so that, Park that or Jurassic movie. Okay, other direction they could go, which I don't would be interesting, and you've got Chris Pratt, so he's got the chops, and I know you probably wouldn't care for it, but I think there's an audience out there. Make it a dinosaur movie, but have it be kind of like slapstick, ridiculous stuff. If you're going to have something as stupid as a guy entering a cage and a dinosaur smiling at you... <laughs> Then yeah. just make it like a um, yeah. Brendan Fraser Jurassic Park movie. Like, do that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Because Chris Pratt is a funny guy, and he has some funny lines, but he's in here to be an action hero. And yeah. it's just kind of different. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what you do at this point. But <laughs> but whatever they did with this, it didn't work. <laughs> so yeah. No, my thing is, I think you've got to pick a tone, and you got to go with it. I could sure. see a very serious, high-minded movie coming out of the next one. Yeah. Just because of the whole setup that we're left with. Right. I could see it being slapsticky, stupid, dumb fun <laughs> as well. And that's fine. Just pick a tone and let's roll with it. Stick with it. Um, yeah. This movie had a lot of different tones it was trying to balance, and I just don't think it did any of them very well. Right. I love the concept of, oh, my gosh, there's dinosaurs in a giant castle-like house, and we can actually be kind of creepy and scary with it. Well, but it wasn't. I mean, no. it was really kind of lazy and really really a lot quicker than it should have been in some places and again they just didn't commit to a style and a tone and i think that's a real problem for the film so but they've already made enough money that there probably will be a third one. Oh, there will absolutely most definitely be a third one great absolutely all we can hope is that the trajectory changes because you know i i'm the weird guy that thought that jurassic park three was probably my favorite of all five that's how weird I am with this franchise, the one that okay. most people just throw away really quickly. I actually had the most fun with number three. Joe Johnson, I think, was the director of it. And I, I liked and it. And Sam Neill came back for yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. It, it was William H. Macy was in it. Okay. Taya Le, uh, Leone was in it. But um, I thought Spielberg's was just really heavy-handed and just the sp- story wasn't as strong. Hmm. Um, and then Jurassic World, I thought, was a Okay, it was all right. It was something, you know, not great, but it was at least some entertainment. This <laughs> one, I do feel like it's just, just, just didn't have a good direction to it. So here's hoping that their next one, if it's the final one of this trilogy, if that's what they're doing. I mean, Is I don't that, know. Okay, I didn't know I mean, that I'm was like a stated thing. That everybody okay. does a trilogy. So I'm just assuming Fair that's enough. kind of the idea. And then they'll reboot it again if they want to keep making more. So. <sighs> Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. As you can tell, Chris and I are not the biggest <laughs> fans, but it's man. probably more from an air of disappointment than it is just we just hate this film. It's just, man, it just didn't work. And it just wasn't fun and it was boring. How in the world a dinosaur movie can be boring? I still don't understand how anybody can let that happen. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're, if they didn't have enough story, just have the action scenes and trim it down a little bit because it was over two hours long. Yeah. So, you know, make it a little shorter and that way maybe you don't have to work as hard to have dumb dialogue or random care. Like could be the, Yeah. I still blame Trevor Rowe. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm laying the blame. I am. Well, uh, he's going to have to prove me true. wrong. He's got to show me in a film. He's either writing or directing that he can pull together a good story. Cause Fair enough. I am not, not very confident right now. Okay. Okay. Jurassic world fallen kingdom, probably still playing at places near you by the time you hear this episode. Uh, and of course, if you have any thoughts, disagreements or agreements with us, feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Let's move right on to our second review, which is the sequel to the 14 year old franchise starter, the Incredibles. This is as you would anticipate Pixar's Incredibles two. So are we going to talk about it? Why? 
the elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. I'll watch the kids, no problem. supposed to do it dad they want us to do it this i don't way. know that way why would they change math uh, math is math okay, math dad. is math hello hey honey how are the kids everything's great incredibles 2 picks up exactly where the incredibles left off 14 years earlier um it, the movie starts with them battling their, an enemy that had like just happened in the last you know closing scene of The Incredibles. Um, you think this was probably a deliberate choice on the part of director and writer Brad Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, before the movie starts, however, there seems to be another deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually, they'd done this with Coco, so maybe it's a Disney thing now. They're going to start doing it with every movie they put out. But they had the cast kind of addressing the audience and kind of what you would usually oh, yeah. usually think would be like a DVD extra of them talking right. about their experience and making the movie. But you had Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter. You had Samuel Jackson. You had the director, Brad Bird, mm-hmm. making, you know, little pithy comments here and there. And the closing one was Samuel Jackson smiling at the audience and saying, you know, it's been 14 years. Don't worry. It's going to be worth the wait. Mm-hmm. I do remember that, yes. Then cut to black, and we see Incredibles 2, the movie. Yeah. Obviously, from the way I'm introducing this, that irritated the heck out of me. <laughs> um, so, but Alan, yeah. from your perspective and the movie that you saw unfold, did Mr. Jackson's promise come true did, to you? Did Incredibles 2, was it worth the wait? Can the we believe Mr. Years? Samuel Jackson and anything he does in the future? Correct. Um, I'll say this. I had a really good time with this film. Okay. I do think it was worth a wait. Was it as good as the first Incredibles? No. Actually, there was a pretty big, pretty big gap between the first one and this one. Okay. However, compared to most other animated fare that I've seen in the last several years, and even a lot of other superhero movies I've seen in the last several years, I think this was a very fun, entertaining film. I think there were a lot of things that worked really well in this film, even some that worked better than the original. I think the action scenes were actually more exciting in this film than they were in the original. Okay. The animation is much sharper and clearer and cleaner than it was, but that's also 14 years of technology advance. Absolutely. So I enjoyed that. I think there was more humor in this film, which I also thought was fine, but it all sacrificed for all those things. I think what we sacrifice is the heart that I think the first film had. I didn't get the emotional impact from this film that the first one had for me. The first one was, yeah, there's still some moments in that first film was like punched in the gut, really good emotional beats for a family drama. Hmm. This one, I didn't feel any of that. And it seemed to be sacrificing the emotion and the more drama elements for just pure humor and more action. Okay. Luckily, in those two elements, they, they were really good. It was a funny movie. It was an exciting movie. So it worked in those elements. But um, it's it's not, you know, Incredibles, the first one, is one of my, I think, top 20 films of all time. This one's nowhere close to that, but it's still, in terms of animated, uh, fun films, this is definitely a high-rated one for me. So, gotcha. that's where I am. If it was a standalone film by itself, yes, I'd probably have a little higher opinion of it. But as it is, comparing it to the original, I've got to say... It's definitely worth watching, but just don't go in expecting it to be rivaling that first one because I feel like it falls pretty short of that. Um, what would be your thoughts? Well, uh, 
worth the wait, Mr. Jackson? I'm not sure. I don't know that I was really waiting for it. Yeah. Um, I liked the first Incredibles, but it's not like basically you're saying top tier film for you. Absolutely. Definitely top tier Pixar, top tier animated. I liked it, but you know, I liked it. Yeah. Um, so this one, it was easy to live up to the Incredibles for me because, you know, you I didn't have it as the highest. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, um, there's several things I admired the fact that it picked up right where the other one left off yeah, it and it stayed back in the time period that the first one was set up, you know, so I, th- I found several things that I was kind of surprised at that I admired that they, they stuck with that instead of trying to then advance it to a theme that they could, although the theme of the evil person in this is the screen slaver. Um, yeah. You could say that that is some type echoing now that we're all tied to our tablets or tied to our phones. It was kind of an odd villain to have in what's a kind of a pseudo 60s time period, right. though. I mean, so. But TV is coming around. So True. They didn't, no, TV know. was starting to come around. So I guess it was still relevant at the time. But it's definitely a villain that would have worked so much stronger in right. a modern day setup. Right. But, but I'm, I, I'm with you on that. I, I'm glad they didn't try to modernize this more. Right. I like the time period that they're in. Um, I also was impressed that they introduced two people whose voice work I thought was as strong as the voice work in the original. Grand, you have the returning characters of Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter and Sarah Vowell, mm-hmm. who all do really good jobs as Mr. Incredible, Mrs. Incredible, or Elastigirl, however you want to however you want to characterize them. The mom and dad superhero, and then Sarah sure. Vowell, who plays Violet, all really strong. They all return. But for me, the two new characters of um, Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener, they mm-hmm. play a brother and sister that basically they're trying to make superheroes legal. That's yes. their big thing. They want to work with the Incredibles and get, cause they're outlawed in the first film. They still kind of are here, I guess. And they try to legalize them or whatever. So Evelyn Endeavor and what was the other guys? Oh, Winston Endeavor. So those are the two people that are voiced by, um, Odin Kirk and Keener. And I really, I really like their voice work. I thought they did yeah. a really Good job. It wasn't. I mean, I guess for some people, it could be distracting to have Better Call Saul be, be in this. I, I, I didn't for think me it, it was. He's not such a recognizable voice. I think it just pulls you out of the film. So, of course, they did make him look pretty similar to his pretty like, similar reels, to have his real, Kirk his real self as a cartoon. But yeah, he was good. Another strength too, which often you and I come down on films for, you make a movie, you see what works with audiences. So when you have your second movie, you ramp up whatever seemed to really connect with audiences in first movie, and you do it so that people really are irritated or don't like it. It really gets on everybody's nerves. Jack Sparrow, first Pirates of the Caribbean, great movie. So what do they do? They take his character and then just dial him to 10,000. Right, and it just kills it, drives him to the ground. So with the Incredibles movie, people liked Jack Jack in that movie, the baby. People also liked um, Edna Mode, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I did too in the first movie. I liked mm-hmm. them. So I was afraid that this movie would basically be taken over by the baby, mm-hmm. um, which he is in this movie, I guess, more. He's definitely in it more. But I don't feel like he overshadows no. what's going on. Comes close a few times. <laughs> comes, maybe comes but close. But I think, I think it, it was a good balance, and Edna Mode... I actually wish she was in the film a little bit more. I actually I could, think she was yeah. kind of shortchanged in the but film. But I liked the, her coming back in and doing what she did. I really liked her piece in it oh, yeah, a lot. yeah, I did too. And yeah, I guess maybe they could have put a little more, but I'm, I'm just glad they didn't overdo either no, I one. I so agree. I thought that was nice. Um, and there's a scene, speaking of Jack-Jack, the baby, there is a scene that if you had told me that this scene was going to be in the film. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And I would have rolled my eyes and said, okay, yeah, I'm not going to like this. And when it started, 
I didn't like it. It's <laughs> Jack Jack has a little side adventure at one point, kind of a scene that got howls of laughter from the audience. Yeah. I grew to like it as it went on because it got kind of ridiculous and it was kind of fun when it got really ridiculous. Sure. But when it started, I said, okay, this is not the direction I want this film to go. Because uh, it turns into almost a Looney Tunes type of sequence. Absolutely. For a while. And see, that's what I was afraid the entire film was yeah. going to be. I'm glad they kept it so. to like a four minute sequence. Right. And it was, I will say it was funny. The more I, at the end of it, by the end of it, I was laughing and thought, yeah, okay, this was, this was funny. I'm glad they put it in there. But it worried me <laughs> for a little bit. But luckily they kind of kept on the same path with the rest of the film. Uh, this Very much the same style as the first movie. Um, so I'm with you on that. I think I think the elements they wove in were good. I I liked the, the introduction of some different superheroes too. There was this moment where they have a kind of a new team that's being put together, and you get to meet them. Some of them are pretty interesting. I think visually they do some interesting things with their powers. A couple of them are <laughs> kind of ridiculous, and they're meant to be ridiculous. Right. Um, I thought giving a little more variety to the superpowers was fun. Uh, visually, there are a couple scenes I thought were just amazing. I think uh, Elastigirl has a, uh, a really elaborate chase scene on a motorcycle, and just the way they've shot that and put these scene, the, these these uh, sequences together was really exciting. It was a very exciting scene for me. And uh, but my favorite scene, the one I want to see again, is there is a scene in a some sort of cage, electrical electrical cage oh, yeah. with light flashing. Mm-hmm. That was visually really, really cool. It just, I don't, it's almost like the shots almost went more 2D at many places, like animation style and flashing with these bright lights. Could be seizure-inducing. That would be something I'd be a little actually, worried about for some audience actually they, members. When I went to go see it one time, they, they had up a sign that said, warning, this, really? there are some scenes that could cause okay. you know, stroboscopic it, effects. It was pretty intense. Yeah, it was neat looking. It was actually kind of scary, but it yeah. was cool. I mean... So those kind of moments, like the visual, visually, I think they did some more interesting things with this film, and I really liked. And there again, I think action scenes themselves were. I enjoy the action scenes in this film so much more than most of the big blockbuster CGI live action action scenes that a lot of these superhero films try to build in. To me, these are more exciting in this film. I, I had a good time with them. So, um, I, I would agree. I, so I liked this film, maybe. I guess I could appreciate it because I've seen so many bad animated movies. So yeah. I won't say I like it better than the original, but I'm definitely, I'm glad yeah. I saw it. I, I would definitely recommend yeah, it. It's, and again, I, and by me saying I don't like it as much as the original, I'm definitely not saying this is a bad movie because it's not. Sure. Just the original, I've got on such high regard that this one is some notches down, but it's still in a top tier animated family films that I've seen. So, I mean, this film had a superhero called reflux <laughs> and his power was that he basically would regurgitate it's, acid reflux. It's acid yeah. reflux. And it was I, disgusting. It was disgusting, but it was hilarious. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great. No, it, 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 again, they ramped up the humor and that's the thing the first one was very funny, mm-hmm. but it were also a lot more dramatic moments. I don't know if you remember in the first one. I mean, it was, Mr. Incredible was kind of midlife crisis and there was some scenes of him working at the insurance company and punching his boss and getting oh, fired. Wow. And it was just like, whoa, this is kind of getting a little depressing and dark for a while. It okay. never touched that at all in this film. I mean, okay. it never got to that level. The closest we got is he had a really funny breakdown moment in this film trying to take care of all the kids. And right. I think at one point he just kind of loses it. But it's definitely played more for laughs than mm-hmm. it was for drama. Sure. So that's the thing I think that sets that first film apart is it just had a really great emotional side of the film that 
they didn't really spend a lot of time with on here here this one, but I'm okay with that. It was still a fun film. Well, and I will say too, going into this film, the summary of on IMDb is Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, is left to care for the kids while Helen, Elastigirl, is out saving the world. You give me that description and I'm bored. Yeah. Because basically I'm like, great, this is Mr. Incredible as Mr. Mom. This is going to be boring. Well, and it also sounds like it's just a reverse of the first film. <laughs> right. Because that's basically what happened in the first film. That's true. And he could argue that this film is just kind of a carbon copy of the first film. There's a lot of similarities to it. But I think they kept it interesting enough. I think it was uh, just different enough to keep it exciting. If you sit and dwell on it too much, yeah, you start to think about it. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities to the first one, the story-wise and all. But there's um, Yeah, there's there's a thing that's supposed to be kind of a... With the villain reveal, there's something that I felt yeah. like was rang a little bit too, had too many echoes from the first film, well, kind of, that I was a little let down. But that's the, that, okay, we're talking about echoes from previous films. You think of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, had to be sure right. I got it right. Like, the, prob- the problems with that movie were that it wasn't making echoes, it was just, it didn't hold together. You're like, you're saying the script wasn't there, the screenplay wasn't. This, even though there are echoes, that's not a holdback because no. the direction was there. The characters are interesting. Yeah. The story does work. You know, it just, so yeah, it's not a distraction. But yeah, if you really nitpick it, you could say, okay, mm. you know, you could find some faults. But but again, I don't think it's enough to say people shouldn't see this film. Oh, no, definitely not. It's good. Very fun and very exciting. Very uh, great for the family. All my kids loved it. You know, my my 16-year-old, this was the first Incredibles was one of the first movies he like remembered seeing when he was a little kid. Okay. To the point where he had scenes memorized where oh, he wow. could like do a word for word cessation of those lines okay. perfectly. Wow. So it was really fun to go take him and my other son to go see this. Sure. And he had such a good time with it. So okay. it was a you know, it, everybody has fun. That's right. the, that's the key with this movie. I think everybody had a good time with it. So it's good. Do we want to say anything really quick about the short film that played beforehand? Alan, let's do say something about the short film that played beforehand. <laughs> I so, thought that I thought that was going to maybe sneak up and be your recommendation, but I guess no, no, it's not. Um, no, I, I I do think we ought to at least mention the short film. Oh, I'll mention. You know, it. every uh, every Pixar film typically has a short film that plays before, and it's normally sure. something cute and fun, or sad, or emotional, pull at the heartstrings type of thing. Or this unfortunately, one, in the case of Coco, shamelessly shilling Frozen Two. Well, I never saw Coco. Uh, Coco, we're seeing short that came yeah, before Coco, not so much. Well, that's why I'll watch it online because I don't have to <laughs> sit with through the shorts. So. Yeah. You go. But this one did have a short film called Bow, Bow B-A-O, mm-hmm. uh, about a uh, couple and a m- uh, mother who makes a dumpling Yep, that comes to life. Yep. And she basically takes care of the dumpling and watches the dumpling grow. Yes. And pretty much that's where I need to stop <laughs> without spoiling this thing. I will just say, Chris, that there are not many moments in film that shock me. Oh, yeah. Or the audience around me. Oh, yeah. But there was a moment in this film where sure. I honestly, everyone gasped. Well, sure. <laughs> to the point where my wife and I both looked at each other like, oh my, <laughs> what just happened? Um, suffice it to say, the film ends on a very positive, emotional note. Right. It had all the members of my family in tears at the end. Yeah. Um, but man, to throw a really interesting curveball into a short film, this one pulled it off. I mean, off. And in the con- it's a shocking moment, but then... You see context, and you're like, oh, I get it. Once you get it. 
once you get the context. It makes sense. But there's about a 30-second gap of time where you're just like, what just happened? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, okay, let me – yeah. So I, I've really liked this short film. Yeah. I really like this short film. I guess without spoiling anything, I can't go into why. Um, yeah. But I really liked it. And I will say one of the things that actually elevates it, I'd have to go back and watch the countless short films that have come before the you know Pixar movies. It is – I'm going to wager to say it might be my favorite short that i have ever seen before a pixar movie not my favorite short ever yeah but my just because of what it did the mere fact that it was kind of shocking there for a brief moment but then ended and yeah i was kind of a basket case yeah. at the end it, it's it's tough especially as a parent yeah it's a tough movie. it's a tough short film but it hits in the right places um there was one short film and i don't even remember what pixar film it was but it was the magic act with the rabbit presto um, presto I love Presto because I thought it was just hilarious. Okay. Um, definitely didn't have any of the emotional impact no. that this did. But that's that was still kind of my favorite high bar. Like, I love the just humor of that that short. This one from an emotional level, yeah, it's definitely like the most gut punch short film. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I really liked it. <laughs> Even just thinking about it now, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's our reviews for this episode. Uh, Jurassic World Falling Kingdom. Chris and I are not not big fans of. Uh, but then Incredibles 2. We do say yes. Good film. Enjoyable. Had a good time with it. Uh, both are still playing. Both are seem to be doing okay financially. Uh, Incredibles 2 actually setting box office records for highest animated debut, which is great to see. That is good. Which means we may see... We may not have to wait 14, 14 more years. years to see another one in that, in that world. You know, I'll have to say, though, even though you know, the original one did really well, in a way, and you know, kind of something Brad Bird alluded to in the whole DVD extra that was in front of the film that I didn't like, you kind of said, like, you know, we kept having a story, but then we said it wasn't good enough or we would keep reworking it. You know what? If you're going to take 14 years because you're really trying to get something right, have at it. You yeah. know, I'd rather you do that than rush out a sequel every two years just because it's oh, yeah. a money grab. No, so. I don't have a problem with the time. Right. I mean, I never once said and got upset because we were having to wait so long for the <laughs> sequel. Sure. I would have been perfectly fine if The Incredibles was a one-off only movie anyway. Sure. Having a sequel that turned out to be pretty fun, yes, is definitely uh, was a nice bonus for me. So that's good. I imagine, fear not, I imagine they probably will do a sequel, but oh, you yeah. never know. I can't imagine nowadays... <laughs> Disney and everybody else. I can't imagine why they wouldn't. Right. So, all right. So that's our reviews. We're going to take a quick break from the show. And when we come back, we will uh, finish up the episode with both of us giving our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out. So stay tuned to Foot Candle Films. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. Again, my name is Alan and with me is Chris. And we just finished our reviews of Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, as well as Incredibles 2. Now, before we get to the last portion of the show, and yes, we are skipping through news at this time, but like I mentioned at the top of the show, we do have another episode coming out pretty soon after this one 
going to be doubling up a little bit just to kind of get us back on schedule. And in that next episode, we will have a little more movie news to share with you. But before we get to our recommendations, I did just want to pass along a few pieces of information. First off, you are listening to this podcast through TheMesh.TV, which is the name of the network that we are featured on. TheMesh.TV uh, is the website address as well. So it's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. That's where you can find both this show and you can find a lot of other podcasts that our network puts together. Now, a podcast is simply a audio program or can be a video program but instead of you going onto a website and listening to the next episode and trying to wait and find out when that's happening you can actually subscribe to it which means that your podcast player of choice whether it be itunes on your iphone whether it be google play or any other mechanism for playing these these programs you can subscribe to a show and therefore you are automatically going to get the latest episode downloaded to your device So we do encourage you to subscribe to this show or other shows on the Mesh Network that you might find interesting. They're all free. They can all be played on a computer, phone, tablet, or even your TV set has the capability nowadays to play podcasts in many situations. So we appreciate you listening, and please let us know of any feedback. We'll give you some notes at the end on how you can do so. Chris, we're getting closer to a certain key event coming up in September. Do we want to go ahead and tell people about this event? Uh, You're looking at me curiously like you don't know what I'm talking about. What would that be? (laughs) Halloween's around the corner at that point. It's Labor Day. Let's go ahead and talk about Labor Day. (laughs) Labor Day. No, the film festival, the Foot Candle Film Festival. We do it every year. This will be our fourth one, September 28th through the 30th. It's going, to be, it's going to be a good one. We were, Al and I are putting the final touches on our schedule and the movies that we're going to have. Uh, that will be going up shortly. We'll somehow provide a link on either the Film Society page. But if you're interested, check it out. It should be good. We're going to have a lot of good films coming that we're really excited about. Absolutely. We're combination of both short films mm-hmm. um, and you know full-length narrative and full-length documentaries. So it's going to be a good time. It'll be great. And, you know, last year at our festival, it was our third one. Sure. And I was trying to think, what trilogy of films is there in the history where the films got better with each film that was made? Hmm. I couldn't think of one. I mean, I really think the model is either you start high and just see a good drop off, or I've seen some trilogies where maybe the second film is the better one, but then it still drops off by the Hmm. third. Trying to kind of equate us to a ongoing saga or ongoing film series of some sort for our fourth one. And I've got nothing. I can't you know what, think of. You know what this is going to be? This, this is going to be the really re-success or successful reboot of our film festival. So this will be like Batman Begins. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's what this can be. No, that's it. <laughs> but that would have meant last year was Batman Forever, which I right, didn't think was really that scary. good. All of our festivals have been great. They have been. This one's going to be even better. We don't have a film series to compare against no. where every film's gotten better each time it goes. I, this could be the Rocky Four, which I will say Rocky Four was Probably my favorite just because it hit me at the right time. Oh, it's, okay. it's a horrible movie. <laughs> but it still was my favorite just because it hit at the right time for me growing up to go see it. Gotcha. But uh, however you want to look at it, I actually like the Batman Begins. That No, Batman and Robin was the fourth movie. Oh, dear. No, no, no. We're not Batman and Robin. So we're okay. not that franchise either. <laughs> no, we're not that franchise. We don't gotcha. have a good comparison franchise, I'm afraid. But just know that each year gets better with ours. Yeah. And we're looking forward to the fourth year. We're like... Although whiskey doesn't get good, I think, until like it's aged for 10 years. So anyways, we're like a fine fill-in-the-blank alcohol that gets better Wine, every year. whiskey, whatever it may <laughs> Something. be. Yeah. Uh, I, let's just go with that. That sure. sounds a lot better, a lot safer for us. All right. 
Chris, every episode we try to bring up a film that is either a film from the past or maybe it's a new one that might have slipped through the, under the radar for a lot of people or just one we want to bring back some attention to. Anything under the sun, and it, uh, more than likely we try to find films that are available online and easy to get to if people want to watch them like tonight, for example. So Chris, I'm curious, what, what film do you have to recommend for us this episode? Okay, uh, we talked about two sequels in this show one was only the second movie the dress park has had like 10 million well often a lot of times you know al and i are bigger on originals as opposed to sequels not always but sometimes i'm going to recommend a sequel okay and i would like to throw out there it is to hugh grant what pulp fiction was to john travolta oh i know which one you're going to say paddington too yep. mm-hmm. uh i saw the original paddington it was okay you know, didn't you? Know, it's, it's, it's okay. Paddington 2 manages to be one of those instances that you can point to. I think the sequel was better than the original. Okay. Uh, it does have the returning cast of uh, Sally Hawkins as the mom of this family, and it has Ben Wishaw doing the voice of Paddington the Bear. And maybe it's just because the first one was setting up the whole premise of he's coming from a different, I think, Peru or so, you know, he's somewhere else. He comes to England and he has to get in with this family. He's kind of a fish out of water type mm-hmm. tale. So it's kind of the whole setup. Right. Whereas Paddington 2 is nothing but just a story of, hey, Paddington's Aunt Lucy's turning 100. He wants to get a gift for her. Oh, he wants to get this pop up book for her. Unfortunately, the pop up book is rare and happens to catch the eye of a criminal, Hugh Grant who knows that it actually provides a treasure map that he wants to try to get the treasure. So he's kind of competing with Paddington. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really cool. It's fun. It's stylized like a Wes Anderson movie. So imagine if Wes, although, you know, Wes Anderson, you've seen him do fantastic. Mr. Fox, Mm -hmm. you've seen him do Isle of Dogs. Well, this is much more kid friendly. So more along the lines of fantastic Mr. Fox, but imagine him doing a CGI bear movie. Imagine him doing a Paddington movie and you would get Paddington too. He did not do this movie. Paul King did it and he did the first one as well. The director and writer. Um, But I just, I really enjoyed it. You know, stylistically, there's a lot to enjoy just because of, it looks like a Wes Anderson movie, the costumes, Mm -hmm. the framing. There's a lot, you know, visual jokes that happen, but it's also just kind of a fun time. It's clever. And one of the best parts, supporting role would be for Mr. Hugh Grant. Yeah, you're he's not just, alone in that. Cr- he's that just really acclaim. fun. And I had heard, you know, from other podcasts, I've heard it like, oh, yeah, Hugh Grant's good in Paddington, too. And I was like, okay, whatever. But then I checked it out. And, yeah, he's really enjoyable. And he pokes fun at himself, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he has kind of been out of the limelight. I don't, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it. And apparently there's a movie coming up. This would be in the news section, but we're not having one today. Of where he is playing... It's kind of a biography type piece, and he's playing a politician that is ruined by a scandal. You're nodding. Yeah. You've heard oh, of yeah. this. I was actually going to say as a okay. follow-up, I uh, it, it's on Amazon. Okay. And so it it's starts, already, so it's already um, out or hasn't come it, out? No, it's come out June 29th. Oh, so wow. it's a three-episode like miniseries. Okay. But um, it's called A Very English Scandal. And and I've heard it's supposed to be pretty Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty good. good. So I'm, I'm kind of seeing a little bit of a Hugh Grant resurgence in a right. way. Kind of maybe finding a new path for his career where he's kind of got these little more interesting characters and mm-hmm. moving away from the 
uh, you know, the, the, the romantic comedy uh, mode. I think he's out of that phase and sure. he's kind of finding a different phase to clip into. But yeah, very English scandal. Supposed to be really good. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on the I top of my watch list right now. Okay. Um, so I'll have to kind of report back in how that is. But I've heard some really good things about Paddington too. Now I have not seen either film, okay. either Paddington or the sequel. Um, and honestly, do I, I need to see the first one to really appreciate the second one? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, you know, he's a talk- okay, Mace. The first one I've heard is still it's, pretty good. Oh, it's, it's fine. It's on Netflix. Okay. So, I mean, I could, this could be a double recommendation. Yeah. You know, you can see Paddington. Okay. And the first one uh, has Nicole Kidman in it. So oh. she's in the first one. Okay. Um, it, it's good. But just this one, something about the mechanics of the... The book serving as a treasure map. And I mean, honestly, Hugh Grant is just. Was it <laughs> the just same comes... director for both? Do you know? Uh, I think so, but Paul I could be King. Wrong. Yeah. Paul King was at the second one. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if he did the first one. Uh, I think he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay. So, same director, but maybe just refining the style a little bit and kind of uh, playing the up style. the And maybe it's just the, the freedom of opening up and having a bigger budget. Not having not <laughs> to worry about an origin story. You know, right. origin stories are just very cumbersome. And then there's a little bit to a playfulness and a randomness that actually Wes Anderson maybe doesn't have sometimes that you wish is more of like a Tim Burton randomness. Okay. Um, there's a band that provides some diegetic music in the first, like you hear music and all of a sudden you'll just go by the street or pan by the street. And there's this, this street band out there performing happens several times in the first one. It was my, my wife's kind of like favorite thing about the first one. She's like, that's so awesome. But they have that in there. They pop up in the second one as well. I don't know if they do it more than once, but they definitely do it at least once. She's like, Oh, there's the band. Like this. So it's, I don't know. It's got a, it's got a sense of style. And I say, you know, Paddington three, I would probably, I'd probably go see it. You know, so can I can I just make a statement about something that I think sure. is really interesting? So you know, we use Letterboxd, yes, which is the service we do to kind of track all of the films we're watching, and you know, we kind of other people can kind of review. We get to see other people's reviews of the film, you know, so on and so forth. Right. So looking through some of the more recent, highly acclaimed films, gotcha. films that are the ones that you know everybody's kind of talking about, the ones that are. You know, big, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Let's say the Mr. Rogers documentary. Right. And you look at some of these films and some of these that get high ratings. Paddington 2 has got a 4.2 rating. <laughs> I mean, it's Which good. is higher it's than pretty most high. of the critically acclaimed films out right now. Right. Won't you be my neighbor, which is supposedly a very, very excellent documentary, is a 4.3. I think that's one of okay. the only films I've seen higher than Paddington 2 right now wow. on an average rating. So I think that's pretty incredible um, that this film... You know, did okay at the box office, didn't light the world on fire, but just critics and other people who see it love it. I think that's the thing is that, yeah, and the reason I was encouraged is because I'd heard some critics talk about it. And I think in an age of sequels, people just, I don't know, they get kind of numb. And unless it's a superhero movie or a Transformer movie or something Mm -hmm. like that, they don't really flock to it maybe. And I guess, you know, Paddington is bigger like in England overseas than it is here. So for whatever reason, yeah, not a lot of people saw it. But a lot of people, you know, people were trying to encourage people to go see it. That it was like word of mouth. And now I think it's, you know, now that it's finally out on video and stuff like that, people like me are telling yeah. um, people to check it out. So that's that's my recommendation is Paddington 2. And if you feel like you need an origin story, see the first one. It's on Netflix. So so just, um, just for comparison's sake, uh, Phantom Thread, okay. a film that we felt like was an exquisite film, <laughs> nominated sure. for Best Picture. Didn't win Best Actor. Should have won Best Actor for Daniel Day-Lewis, right? They didn't win Best Actor. No, he did not. 4.1 on Letterboxd. Okay. Paddington 2, 4.2. Wow. (laughs) So there you go right there. Fair enough. Okay, mine probably doesn't have as critically high a rating 
online, but it is one that I caught back up with. I've seen it probably four times now. Oh. And it is a favorite of mine for more uh, just more personal reasons as opposed to whether or not it's a really good film. But okay. my son, uh, my youngest son, started playing electric guitar recently. Gotcha. And over the course of just like six months, has taught himself how to play. He's actually had his first guitar lesson as I'm recording this right now. Awesome. So he and I decided we had to watch a movie together the other night. He's very interested in starting a band at some point. So we watched School of Rock. Gotcha. And School of Rock is one of those films where if you really think about the plot, you really think about kind of the infeasibility of the whole thing. It <laughs> just it doesn't really hold up as well from a storytelling standpoint. But I tell you, the energy and the fun of this film make up for it. And I live for the ending performance of this film. For those who are not familiar with the film, it's all about, it stars Jack Black. Um, and it's directed by Richard Linklater, written by Mike White, which I think is one of the reasons why hmm. it's probably one of Linklater's most accessible films. Yeah, I think as far as people can just watch it and appreciate it and enjoy it, you don't have to do a whole lot of thinking. Or it's not a lot of inside humor. It's just very... Family-friendly, simple fare. Sure. Um, but it's got a great sense of humor to it. Jack Black is one of those performers, you know, I kind of take it or leave it depending on the film he's in. This is a perfect match of his sensibility and his comic style. Um, plus, you got the fact that the kids in the film are actual musicians. They're not lip-syncing. They're not, you know, trying to pretend like they're playing instruments. No, these are really good musicians playing uh, in, in the film. Okay. The, the, the plot's pretty simple. It, it's Dewey Finn as a musician gets kicked out of his band, trying to look for income, trying to get a job. He falls into an opportunity to basically play a substitute teacher at a private school. He's not. He's <laughs> basically impersonating his roommate. Um, and once he gets into this school, he realizes that he has an opportunity to turn these kids into a rock band so he can compete at the Battle of the Bands and get his name and reputation back. Gotcha. So, of course, hijinks ensue from that point. <laughs> but... You know, the actual mechanics of him trying to cover up being a, 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 a teacher is not as entertaining. But the scenes where he's teaching the kids about music and they're playing and they're trying to create this band uh, is really fun. Okay. And then it culminates with a great performance of a couple of songs during that battle of the bands at the end. That thing are just wildly entertaining. Well done. It just puts a smile on your face. It's a good, fun film. So... Uh, as much rock music as I'm hearing blaring in my house every night right now, <laughs> this seemed like a good fit for the time. Sure. And, uh, and, and like I said, Richard Linklater has made so many films and many of them really good. Mm -hmm. Some not so much, but most really good films. But it's just a wide range of film types. This to me is still his most accessible. You could pop this on at any time and people would enjoy it. I think the fact that it's on like TBS and all these other cable channels almost nonstop. I mean – all I really had to do to find this is do a search on my TV channel guide and say school of rock. It's like, yep, it's showing on this channel tomorrow, 10 o'clock. Awesome. Record it for me. And I want to watch it. So, uh, okay. that's, a, that's my recommendation. We had a lot of fun watching that together the other night. So if you've got a kid who's at all musically inclined, uh, I think it's worth uh, checking out for sure. Cool. So that's our recommendations for this episode. So Chris is, was recommending, uh, the film, um, Paddington, Paddington two. 2 or you could also see Paddington one, but I'm, I'm strongly recommending Paddington two. Okay. If you want to, if you have like four hours to spare, Chris <laughs> right. is recommending you watch both. Right. So that you end with Paddington two, which he thinks is a better film than the first one. Uh, and just an overall good film in general. Yeah. Um, sounds like it's a good evening though. Uh, right. if you want to check out both of them 
and I'm recommending School of Rock. So both of us are recommending films that it's good to huddle the family around the TV sure. and check out a good film together. That's our show for today. So we have reviewed two films and we've recommended two films. So giving you a lot of film uh, information to go into the weekend or go in and decide what you want to do with your hard-earned dollars uh, if you go to a movieplex or if you decide to rent something online. Chris, if people have some thoughts or ideas about what we've said, agree, disagree, or just want to chime in the conversation, how should they go about reaching us? You can send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. And like Alan said, tell us what you like, didn't like, a movie we should check out, or tell me how awesome Paddington 2 was. Or, you know, tell us what we missed about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and actually how it is the best Jurassic Park movie to have been made. Maybe it is. Uh, we just don't see it. Help open our eyes. You know, the thing is, I've actually read some people online saying that they think it's one of their favorite Jurassic Park movies. Uh, I don't understand, but <laughs> I mean, to each their own. Right. You know? Absolutely. Write us in some reasons why. We'll be glad that is to the share The great them. thing about film is that, you know, it is an art form. And Absolutely. people can have different in- impressions of it. Chris and I just did not have a very good impression of this one, but <laughs> this that doesn't true. mean you may not. So right. please let us know if you have some different thoughts on the film. Okay. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up again. Foot Candle Film Festival is coming up September 28th through the 30th of this year, 2018. Uh, and besides that, and just keeping a lookout for that and when tickets go on sale, otherwise uh, just look out for our next episode. We should have another one coming out very soon. And we're actually we actually know the films that we'll be reviewing. We'll be reviewing uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's correct. The latest Marvel Studios film (laughs) with Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also be doing a review of the documentary RBG about uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RBG. Correct. Not RGB, which we as video people have tended to slip into and and say accidentally. But no, it's actually her name and it's RGB. No, RBG. (laughs) Yes, you see the problems with this. (laughs) I already did it. It's going to be a problematic recording in a few days. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But we will have those two films to discuss. Uh, One big Marvel superhero film and one documentary film. So it should be a good mixture of a show. Look forward to talking to you at the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.